Come on in, Jesus. We're here for you today. We're here to celebrate you today. We're here to hear from you today. We're here to be blessed by you today. And we're here to bless you. So go ahead and bless him right now, however you're comfortable doing that. Just let him know that you're so glad to be alive today in the life that he's given you. I'm going to take a text from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read this today out of the King James Version. If, if you have some other translation, that's wonderful. But I'm going to read it out of the King James. Now, you'll immediately recognize that this is not a normal, normal, usual Easter text. Uh, far be it from me to make trouble. But I did think there might be a creaster or two that slipped in. And since you basically would hear the same sermon every year, I'm going to give you a little different one today. Is that all right with everybody? All right. Luke chapter 1. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. I'd like for us all to stand together just for a moment, and I'd like for you to draw your attention to the large screen behind me, because I think that agreement is very important, and I want us all on the proverbial same page today. So let's get on this page, because these are the words that followed the disciples' question to Jesus. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. I'd like for us to sing song it a little bit. I'll read the line and then you repeat it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us all of our sins as at this very moment we forgive everyone who has sinned against us let me let me let me just pause just in brevity there because unforgiveness in my estimation is the greatest sin and iniquity of our generation we live in bitterness and blaming and unforgiveness. Having unforgiveness in your heart this morning is the same as you drinking a glass of poison and expecting the person that you're offended at to die. Unforgiveness is the root of most of humanity's problems. We have a war going on, several of them in fact, in the Middle East. Why? Because there never came forgiveness between Ishmael and Isaac. And that unforgiveness is still permeating the landscape and costing thousands and thousands of lives and billions and billions of dollars. And we're none the better for it. 
So right now, I want to encourage you, forgive somebody. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but I know what the Christ on that cross did for you. And he said, if I forgive you, surely you can forgive them. So let's say it again. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, we need that, don't we? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and forever. We'll just give him some glory right now. You may be seated. I'm going to walk you through a couple of things right now. First of all, I want to share with you about the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ being foretold. You'll find that in your Bible in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Your Bible says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man by the name of Joseph. And the virgin's name was... And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail Mary, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Well, I mean, how would you react? If a 30-foot angel showed up and you were a virgin and the angel said, You're highly favored of God. You'd be troubled too. Human beings are often troubled by what they hear God say. That's the reason so many of them stay home from church. <laughs> so they can't hear what God's saying. <laughs> so just say this with me right now. Be it unto me according to thy word. Hallelujah. She was troubled, cast in her mind what manner of salutation or greeting this should be. And the angel said to her, fear not, thou... <laughs> has found favor with God. He tells her twice she's favored. Behold, what the? You shall conceive in your womb and you shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jehovah Joshua Messiah. You shall call his name the Lord Jesus Christ for he shall save his people from their sin and he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And she said, how in the world is this going to happen? She, she kind of said, what up? How in the world is this going to happen seeing I don't know a man? She said, I don't, I don't have a significant other. I'm not shacking. I'm going to go back to the text now. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Shout our Father. We continue on the journey of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 now. We find that he was born in Bethlehem's manger. Can you say amen? He was born in Bethlehem's manger because it came to pass in those days that there were not a decree from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be taxed. 
And Joseph went from Galilee to Bethlehem to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, she now being great with child. And so it was that as they were there, the time was accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there was in that same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not ye, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and shouting, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That was Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. But if you move on, we go to Luke chapter 3, because we cannot begin there. We begin way, way back in the elegant garden of Eden with our pristine parents, for there it was God who fashioned man of the red cold clay of earth. And there he built for him a home and it dwelt with him in the elegant garden of Eden as every atom began to whirl and spin and sing until man stepped off the creator's palate, lifted up his eyes and said, hello God, what a God and what a garden. Everything pleasing to the eye, everything pleasant to the touch, all the Arthiniums and Bougainvilleas blooming and blossoming everywhere. All of the animal kingdom were walking in kindness one toward the other. But you know the story right there in the middle of paradise. Adam sided with God's great arch enemy and the boldest rebellion in the human family was begun. God came down into the midst of all that retrieval where man had wound his moral clock backwards. The image of God had been dashed to pieces. The locust and its great king had come and turned blossom into dust. Death had come and turned blue the lips of the children of men. Man was banished with flaming sword to the eastern plains of sterile Eden, and there he stood in jeopardy before God and before the holy angels. Death was the mark on man. Except that is for your Bible in Genesis chapter 3, for there God made a propitiation. It's a great big word. It simply means God made a promise with hope attached to it. The serpent would bruise Christ's heel, but Christ would destroy his authority. Now men, under the heavy weight and curse of sin, went walking through eternity in a huge processional marching toward the grave. Behold man, the furrow in his brow bespoke of the agony that rode across his face. The mournful sound of the funeral dirge could be heard everywhere. No more a happy, laughing, splashing river of life. But death stalked his tracks. That's when the angel called mercy walked up to justice and the law 
and said to justice and the law, if you will just break across these chains and swing wide this gate, then I'll come in. I'll mop up the fevered brow of humanity. I'll help them with their weighted hearts. I'll lift up their hanging heads if you'll just open the door. But the law stood demanding and justice cried loud and said, man is forever doomed. And mercy climbed back up in his chariot rode high up on the forever mountain, scooped up the living Son of God, came rolling back across the Milky Way amidst the stars and the planets. He came swirling to this cemetery, graveyard planet. Jesus said to the law, you open that gate. But the law said, no, sir. It'll take someone from eternity to swing wide this gate and break across these chains. Man is doomed and we refuse to lose him. Jesus said, I'll pay the price. What is the price, said justice and the law? What is the price that would cover the wounding sin and the putrefying sores of humanity? Jesus answered, I'll pay the price in full. When can we expect Payment, said justice and the law. Jesus said, you meet me 4,000 years in the future and I will pay the price in full. So our Redeemer came conquering and to conquer. Riding in dyed garments of Bozra. He comes riding in the strength of his very own might. Born in a barn because that's where lamb ought to be born. While angels sang happy birthday <laughs> and shepherds showed up to see if it was true. Now in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In Luke chapter 4, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, tempted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, and came out of that wilderness not weak and tired, but shouting, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the happy year of jubilee when every man goes free. Luke chapter 5, he gave them a fishing lesson. They'd fished all night and hadn't caught a thing. Jesus appeared and said, throw your net out on the other side and they caught such a drought of fishes that it nearly sank the boat they were in in Luke chapter 6 Jesus chooses his 12 disciples and he preaches that beautiful beatitude the sermon on the mount Luke chapter 7 he finds great faith in a Roman centurion who said I'm not worthy that you should come into my house Jesus but just speak the word and my servant shall be healed then that chapter he conquered death first in Jairus bedroom where Jairus daughter was raised again from the dead then in Nain streets where he stopped a funeral procession and brought a resurrected boy out of his coffin. And then in the burial place of Bethany, as he said to four day dead Lazarus, 
Hey, Lazarus, come forth. And your Bible said, you see, Jesus, not the only one resurrected. Your Bible said Lazarus came forth still wrapped in grave clothes. And the serving servant of God declared, loose him and let him go. Can I share with you today? I'm doing really, really good not preaching where I want to go. But I need to tell you today, I feel a loose them and let them go. Anointing up in here today. In Luke chapter 8, he preaches the parable of the sower. He calms the storm, shouting, peace, be still. He cast a legion of demons out of the demoniac of Gadara. He stopped the woman's issue of blood. In Luke chapter 9, he needs some help. His ministry is going and growing. So he sends out the 12 and said, take no thought for what you shall eat or drink. Take no thought for what you shall say. It sounds like our Canaan king has a plan. Well, when their ministry multiplied, dream teamers, when their ministry multiplied, he needed more help. So he sent out the 70 in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 11, he finds himself exhausted from ministry and the needs of people. Jordan and I have often said, if you could just pastor without people, you'd have a whole lot fewer problems. He needs to be alone. He retreats to the valley called Kidron with Temple Mount and its sealed up Eastern Gate on one side. The Mount of Olives on the other side. He steals away. The living Son of God prostrates, prostrates himself upon the ground. His disciples are just out for an evening of glee when one of them stumbles over the body of the Savior. There he is praying, but no one had ever seen a man pray like that. This is where Jesus announces these words. Our Father. Our. You can't just read the Bible. You must read the Bible. Do you notice that in his very first words taught to his disciples, he did not say, my Father. In the singular statement, Jesus of Nazareth, God incarnate, not humanity deified nor deity humanized. Here's all God and all man with sinless blood coursing through his veins, conceived of a virgin and the union of the Holy Spirit. Here is Jesus. And in this one moment, this blind eye healing Jesus, this wet water walking Jesus, this issue of blood stopping Jesus, this master preacher Jesus, the prophet of the ages, Jesus, the living breathing son of almighty God is not thinking of himself he does not say my father as if God had an only child 
Somebody's getting it. Somebody just shove your neighbor and say, God is not the father of an only child. No, 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 no. I said he didn't just have one offspring. Your Bible declares to you this day that Jesus was the first. I need some happy Christian to shout first. He was the first begotten of the dead. Well, if he was the first, there must be a second. And if there's a second, there's probably a third. And if there's a third, maybe there's a fourth. And it comes all the way down the line to me when I claimed him as my father. Well, if I claim him as my father, Jesus must be my brother. And your Bible must be true when it declares that we... If we are Christ, Galatians 3.19, then are we Christ's and we are Abraham's seed according to the covenants of promise. Meet to be able to be partakers of the inheritance of Jesus Christ with the saints in light. Shove your neighbor and tell him you're sitting next to a somebody that knows they ain't nobody. Can you give me five minutes? Can you give me five minutes? The helicopter's getting fueled up. The eggs are being loaded. Those are not the only yokes about to be broken today. The Easter baskets may be full, but I need to announce the tomb is empty. I feel my help coming now. Hey, God. Woo! Hey, God. I double dog dare you to shout, shout, Father! I don't know what your father did to you. I was a happy child. I was a happy teenager. I was a happy adult. I had the best father that ever walked the planet. And he expressed to me what a father was. Austin Chandler's driving down the road with him the other day and I said son you're the best son any father ever had I said when your mother was pregnant with you Ashton was about two years old I was sitting outside things were more primitive then than they are now ultrasound had just kind of come on the scene so Johnny went for her ultrasound and the doctor had asked us, would you like to know the sex of your child? And Johnny said, I don't think so. And I said, yes, I'm not buying blue and pink. We're going to cut this thing in half right now. So, so we said, yes, but 
For some reason, they didn't allow me in the room. So I had to sit outside on a hard wooden chair. While I was sitting there, God Almighty spoke in my heart and said to me, would you like to have a son or a daughter? And I said, I would never presume upon you, my father. You're the giver of all life. And God whispered in my ear and said, I want to give you your choice just to tell you that I love you. Not because you're a preacher, not because you're on television, just because you may have forgotten how much I just desperately love you. And I said, well, in that case, I've been a father to a daughter, but I've never been a father to a son. And since you're my father and I'm a son, I'd like to understand that relationship better. And I said, if it's not presumptuous upon you, I'd love to have a son. At that moment, a nurse came around the corner and she said, Mr. Parsley, would you like to come and see your son? God's a wonder. I said, God's a wonder. I said, God's a wonder. Throw both hands up and say, our Father. I've got to close. In ancient Palestine, when a child is about 16 months old, like all around the world, they begin to utter their first words. Some a little ahead, some a little behind. Here in America, all the fathers, they push for those first words to be daddy. And the mothers push for the first word to be mama. Either way, it never comes out exactly the way we think it should. Those first syllables are often mama, dada. In ancient Palestine, they would have been ab. In Aramaic, the language of the day of Palestine, when Jesus was born, that word was ab. Ab. So babies would say abab, 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 abba, abba, abba. So when God truly wants you to understand who he wants to be to you, on this resurrection day, he does not just say, call me Elohim, call me Jehovah Jesus Hagaboth, call me Jehovah Rapha, call me Jehovah Jireh, call me Jehovah Sidkenu, call me Jehovah Makedish. He says, call me Abba. So that you understand your trust in him can be understood in the very elementary level, he just wants to be your dada. He just wants to be your mama. He just wants to be somebody that is there. When you bruise your finger, you get a boo-boo on the knee of life. He just wants you to come running to him as you are. He doesn't expect you to go take a bath of religion first. He doesn't expect you to clean up your house first. He doesn't expect you to change your behavior first. First, all he wants you to do 
today is come running like a child after an Easter egg and jump up in his lap. I want everybody to stand with me. I want everybody to stand with me. I want everybody to realize the love that God is offering you today. A love that does not know your past. God has a problem. A man asked me in an interview, is God perfect? And I seized upon the opportunity just to say, well, I'm going to ask that no one move around now, please. No one move around now, please. Thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you. They asked me once if I wanted to be a lawyer. I could surely, with the gift God had given me, argue in a courtroom for someone's freedom. They asked me if I wanted to be a politician. I said, why would I want a downgrade? They, they asked me if I wanted to be a surgeon. And I said, why would I want to put a physical heart in my hand, sew it up, put it back in a body that's eventually going to die anyway? The gospel preacher has the joy of dealing in the merchandise of eternity. And so I ask you just to be reverent before him just for a moment. A Navy SEAL was out on exercises and He was in the ocean water. A rubber raft contained his service buddies. It was a black night, very cloudy. The seas were rather tempestuous. Suddenly, they noticed a frothing in the water. As that mighty Navy SEAL was now struggling for his life, caught in the jaws of a shark. It took him down. They tried to maneuver the boat to where they saw him go down. And as soon as he would get, they would get there, he would pop up further away. And they would get there and down he would go again and up again and down again. Moving that boat with all of their might, they struggled to get to him before it was too late. There's blood now in the water. They haven't seen him for what must have felt like an eternity. They'd given up all hope, you see, when suddenly he bobbed up, but this time, not a hundred yards away. This time, he bobbed up right next to that rubber raft. His friends grabbed him and pulled him into the raft. And they saved his life 
from that bloody water. I, I know of another situation. I was struggling for my life. Oh, everything looked all right. But I had no real hope. No lasting peace. No overwhelming joy. Oh, I tried to do the right thing. And for a while I could keep my head above the water. When suddenly, captive I was again. Preachers would stand off at a distance and talk about a man writhing in his own blood. A man who loved me so much he could not live without me. A man who would lay down his life for his friends. And one Tuesday night, they preached again. And I came up too close to the boat. And they reached down a blood-soaked head. And they pulled me out of the watery black depths of my own choosing. He brought me into his kingdom. He gave me eternal life. And today, there are hundreds of you. You felt smothered by life and covered by the waves of your own self-doing. You thought you'd never be near enough for him to reach down his hand for you. Can I tell you, the boat, why it's just about that far away. And he's about to reach way down for you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. You haven't done anything big, bad, mean, ugly enough. Jesus already paid the price. He already shed his blood. He already says to you, I love you. How much? This much. Yes, God has a problem. He may not be perfect as you think of perfect because as I told that interviewer, God has a problem. He just cannot stop loving me. When I turn my back, he loves me still. Your Bible says if I make my home in heaven, he's there. Or if I go to the depths of hell, he's there also. Do you understand today? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are or who you're not. He loves you today. He loves you in your fidelity and in your infidelity. He loves you when you get it right and he loves you more when you get it wrong. He's reaching way down to you today but he can't do it for you 
There are only two kinds of people on earth right now, only two kinds of people watching over a million being reached online right now. The thousands here in this tabernacle, there in Elkhart, Indiana, in the branch campuses, we're all gathered together. None of us can make heaven on our own. Jesus came not to heal well people, but to call sinners to repentance. Well, who's a sinner? Anybody that has separation between their life and God. Anybody that gets up without a deep desire for God's kingdom, a deep desire for spiritual things. It's not your fault. You were born that way. You are not a sinner because you have sinned. You're a sinner because you were born that way. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. This is your opportunity. Your Bible says if any man is in Christ, everything passes away and all things become new to him. You can go home today a brand new mom, a brand new dad, a brand new son, a brand new daughter. You can receive eternal life. You can receive heaven as your eternal home. The number one statement is, in hell is, I never intended to be here. Hell, a place where men gnaw their tongues for pain, where the smoke of men's torment rises up under the nostrils of God forever and forever, and where the fire is never quenched. Hell was not made for you. It was made for the devil and his angels, and if you ever end up there, you'll go there over the cries and invitation of this preacher and you'll walk over the cross of Christ to get there. He put that cross in your way this morning. And he says to you, don't go to hell. I offer you life. He said, choose. You choose. God so values freedom that he gives you the opportunity to choose right now. Choose. He said, I give you life or death. You choose. I give you blessing or cursing. You choose. I give you heaven for eternity or you choose hell, you choose. I'm gonna to count to three, and when I say three, I want you to do what over 300 people have done in the last four days. I want you to say, Jesus, I accept your cross and resurrection as the full penalty of my sin. I receive you today as my Savior, as my Lord, and you will pillow your head tonight with a full assurance. You are sure for heaven as if you were already there. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. 15 seconds between you and the decision that will seal your eternity. I trust you make the decision right now. No one can make it for you. Right now to say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. You don't have to do anything first. He already did it all. I'm not asking you to join a church or a creed. I'm asking you today to place your life completely in the hands of a loving Savior. Because every devil that tormented your life is waiting just outside these doors. You can leave here a new creature. Make the decision, make it now, that you'll be glad you made when you stand before God in eternity. 
When I count to three, bravely and boldly, do what so many have done. Hands are already going up. Let me count quickly. This is your opportunity. Tomorrow I may be in heaven and you may not be. Make the choice. You'll be glad you made. This is it. The boat's here. Reach out your hand and allow him to reach his down to you. Raise that hand on three. One, two, three. Raise it, leave it up. Do not put it down. Do not put it down. Leave it up. Hundreds and hundreds with their hands raised here. Raise that hand all the way to the top row. I see you. I see you. You're not left out. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.